It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down I was born. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of American Loser. Uh, where else could we be other than a shared universe podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey? Mike and Ming take great care of us, as always. In fact, this particular Sunday, who behind the ones and twos, the big kahuna has passed away again, unfortunately. He died in gang violence in Howell, New Jersey. All right, it was a, it was a, a Six Flags-related gang, and uh, they gunned him down mercilessly. He might be back next week. We don't know. But who's behind the ones and twos? The boss himself, Ming Chen. How are you, sir? Hey, what's up, everybody? It's an honor to be here. Yeah, man, the Big Dipper gang, man. They're, uh, they're, 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 they're rough, man. They're rough. And, they, uh, they offed our boy. So Yeah, I told them not to get involved, man. I told you, don't let him get you sucked in. And he got sucked in. So I'm here today. It's okay. It's uh, The Big Kahuna is, uh, you know, he's actually not dead. He's just probably playing with puppets somewhere and didn't want to come to work today. Right. I was going to say, when Hawaiian people die, you have to release a lay into the ocean. <laughs> we do it for my family. Uh, that voice, by the way, uh, for those listeners, one of my one of my most charismatic friends. Um, in another life, he would have been a cult leader. Uh, <laughs> instead, he is just a, a very one of my favorite comics to watch. Uh, now, I originally knew you as Andy High Roller. Okay? Right. Your real name. You want to give your real name out? Uh, yeah, my real name's Andy Lawson. Yeah. So, and he's good to go on uh, the sound mic because he's. Uh, I'm sorry, Ming coming in. <laughs> he's uh... Should he's be so, back he or sounds forwards? great. He's so he laid sounds, back. That's the problem. Yeah. I gave him the one that picks up real well for uh, the the people who love to just kind of chill back here. Well, that's, <laughs> dude, there is no more chill guy than uh, Andy, man. Because uh, we're sitting here. He brought in some cooks, uh, extra dry champagne. Okay, now in defense of the cooks, <laughs> there's not a lot of brands that make mini bottles. Correct. So this is not my go-to champagne. That'd be Corbell. I don't want to, you know. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything. No worries, man. No, the champagne move is a good move on that. We we do typically try to drink Ross Brewing on this podcast, the official beer of American Loser, but uh, someone tapped the keg. Okay. His name's Kevin Garifo. He's a friend of mine. <laughs> he did it on the Calamity Jane episode. I think he had about 11 and a half beers. Yeah, I feel like champagne is the nitrous oxide of alcohols. Like, it's a quick up, <laughs> and you're hanging there, and then you come down, and there's not a lot of, you know, there's not like a lot of hangover, but it's a good conversational you know, it's a good conversation. No, this is the move drink. for yeah. Sunday morning, like we're doing right it now. Is this is good. Morning. Could have brought bagels. Now, <laughs> now not for nothing, uh, Andy. Uh, I, here's why I love you, pal. First of all, you're a funny, dude. Fun guy okay. to talk to, and then also you listen to the show. Yes, I had, I've listened to probably six or seven episodes now. I hear you, man. The and dynamic with your dad is really funny and endearing. And it doesn't seem contrived, which is and, and that bastard abandoned us to go down to South Beach again. So it is what it is. We're stuck with uh, with Adam this week. I think he has another family down there. That's uh, probably. <laughs> but uh, not for you came up with uh, the topic for this week's episode. Oh yeah, a uh, yeah. pretty fascinating guy. I knew nothing about him going into this, and as soon as I started reading about him, I was just like, "Whoa, this is." You know, you, you did mention uh, the name of a famous American conspiracy theorist. Oh yeah, yeah. I was going to come in with a spread of documents, like I was Alex Jones. 
it's <laughs> I just have it all over and like maybe even go full character with like a black jacket and just try to hang out in that mode for as long as I could. But, I turned the frickin' frogs gay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, he's had so many great things. Babies wrapped in gold leaf foil, just like. <laughs> And I got into him back in the day when it was not like the thing it is now. It was not that entity that people have like let it become or that it has become. Like I got into him when he was fun. I got into him when he was basically fat David Duchovny. <laughs> oh man, it's a uh, well. There's also that conspiracy theory that he is Bill Hicks. Yeah, I mean, there's also a conspiracy theory that Jimi Hendrix is also Morgan Freeman. Now we're talking. I can show you the pictures. I have the documents. <laughs> well, not for nothing, uh, today's topic that uh, you came up with, this guy rules. It's not Alex Jones, for those listening at home. <laughs> You'll figure it out with the title of it. Today we're going to talk about uh, America's, quote, Minister of Propaganda. So, Ming, uh, you've done well for yourself. You have uh, an awesome podcast studio. Uh, you know, it's a, a cult following, too, by the way. Um, what's the last thing you bought? Last thing I bought with my own money yes. uh, was probably a Miller High Life at uh, The Saint in Asbury Park last night. Not actually another place Andy and I have done comedy. That's funny. The That's champagne that. of beers, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. What made you pick that beer? Uh, it was $4, and I, I, mean, I, love, <laughs> I love the champagne of beers. I, I've gone back. I went through the whole microbrew thing, and then I just have come back around to what I call a cheap beer renaissance. Where it's like I bought that twelve dollar four packs and like now I'm just back. PBR, Tecate, this stuff called Boxer Ice. It is sixteen dollars for a thirty six pack and it's <laughs> as good as Yunling. And that's you know, it's nice to not have to go out, you know. That's the problem with working in the craft beer uh, industry as I'm doing now, is yeah. that uh all those beers oh, I'm are saying good. the exact wrong thing. That, no, you're good. I, I get so fat drinking these. It's insane. You're just like, oh, I'll just have one or two. And then you forget it's like essentially a loaf of bread in every bottle, as my yeah. father would say. Liquid carbohydrates, ladies and gentlemen. But <sighs> man, truth. is it yummy. It's <laughs> man, does it make you feel good? Well, the, uh, you're right on that. Now, not for another. So it was $4. So that's why you bought the Miller High Life. Yes. But uh, there's so much programming that goes into, because I don't see commercials for High Life. I see Miller commercials all the time. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think they have to. I think it's a trickle-down advertising effect. Which is kind of what we're going to talk about today with the loser, Oh, surprisingly enough, Edward Bernays uh, was... Who is today's loser, by the way. We have no fun. (laughs) Is it Bernays or Bernays? I keep calling him the sauce. Look, you know, (laughs) does it really matter? Like, he actually was behind a campaign that uh, America, during, like, pre-prohibition or whatever, was worried that they were drinking too much, so he pushed beer as the alcohol of moderation. He was behind a campaign. That's, I hate to say that's kind of how I'm trying to fix my life right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, that's why I brought it up. He was trying to popularize beer as like, you can have as many of these as you want and you're not an alcoholic, which is something I've been telling myself <laughs> for some time. Oh, that's when, when I'm doing, when I'm living right, it's because I'm having just a couple of beers. Right. It's if I start being like, oh, you know, I'm getting a little fat in the face, better start hitting the Jameson. But then you drink whiskey at a beer pace and that's yeah. when you start calling out of work. And yeah. no showing Christmas Eve. I'm sorry, cousin Megan. I love you. I'm going to get my life right. I promise. And you're, yeah. I haven't. I don't miss work. It's just something. I don't know. I'm, uh, I don't like to miss work, and I don't like to not create art. Those are my two cutoffs. Which is why you're lucky you were able to find your passion in working for ISIS. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he's rocking a hell of a Bin Laden beard right now. I got to say that about him. He's got right. his uh, he's got his Cuba uh, dictator hat on too. Yeah. But, but which Bin Laden? The fake one from the CIA tapes or the real one living in the mountains? I have the that's documents. <laughs> let's let's be done with that. Let's not. So I will spiral forever on any topic regarding that. No worries. I'll tell you what, before, because we're going to hop in on uh, Bernays or Bernese here, however you want to pronounce it. Um, fascinating guy. Ming brought up a photo of him already. Uh, not a handsome man, okay? Not a handsome man. Not an ugly man either, but uh, an interesting guy nonetheless here. Uh, Ming, you hear the word propaganda, and it has a rough sound to it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Every time. So what if we just... There's an undeniable negative connotation that comes with it. So what if we just change the name of it and then do it anyway? Meaning, welcome to uh, the man who created the term public relations. Really, Edward Bernays. That yep. sounds much more pleasant. He took propaganda and he goes, you know what? This propaganda thing, people don't like the word propaganda because they think it's going to involve uh, being lied to. And I actually, have the the legit definition of it here. Propaganda, uh, by definition, is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. So. You know, you see all sorts of stuff. I, I put it up on the uh, um, American Loser uh, Instagram account that there was a rumor back then. It was disproven, but that Ben Franklin wanted the turkey over the bald eagle as the national bird of America. So what I my buddy did was he photoshopped turkeys into all the American war propaganda, like a helicopter in the background and shit like that. And it's pretty wild. But that for, you know, for an example is kind of what, you know, propaganda would be considered because it's all this good imagery of like the noble fight and everything but everybody uses it sometimes for nefarious purposes am i setting him up okay so far i think so i mean like he's really good in the quotables i mean if you google you'll get like top 50 lists of the quotable things that he says um one was uh, we are governed our minds are molded and our tastes formed largely by men we have never heard of which sounds remarkably like JFK's secret society, secret oaths, secret proceedings, uh. like kind of thing. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, he was—he had his hands in everything, from like war. He sold war to like drinking cups. Yep, like he That's, sold. Everything. I have a list of a couple of things yeah. that he was able to pull off, man. Now, this guy, he figured out the human psyche, which is interesting because you know who he's related to, right? Sigmund Freud. Yep. He winds up being, I think it's a, considered a double nephew is what they called him. That's so annoying. That's, yeah. That's so <laughs> annoying. Like, and that also sounds like, I'm from South Jersey. That sounds like some South Jersey situation. My double nephew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that out there My right double now. nephew works at Wawa. Yeah. But, uh, well, this week's loser uh, does all these things in spades. We're talking about the infamous, brilliant, and possibly evil genius that is Edward Bernays, who was uh, born in Vienna in 1891, and uh, oddly enough, comes from a Jewish family, and he is related to legendary psychiatrist uh, Sigmund Freud, who, you know, pretty much figured out that at our hearts, everyone wants to fuck their mother. <laughs> Oedipus. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that Colin Quinn joke when he was talking about uh, when they wrote Oedipus, and he goes, is that, uh, you guys, you, guys that, you think that's about me? Is that about me, guys? <laughs> You know me? Because I, I want to fuck my mother, kill my father. Is that I mean, did Freud just rebrand Oedipus? Is that like the whole? And then he's like, I this wonder. is my idea now? I don't know. I might find my new idea. That's, That's an old idea. <laughs> well, I wonder if that was just his catch-all for everything. Because there's always, they talk about it a lot, especially I'm rewatching Cheers again for the hundredth time. <laughs> and uh, Frazier brings it up quite a bit. But okay. The, my, uh, my series like that is Malcolm in the Middle. That's <laughs> nothing wrong with it. I, it was It was good. That was yeah, a, a prequel to Breaking Bad, if I recall. 
In a lot of ways. <laughs> Dude lived to be over 100. He was an octogenarian. Oh, that's the term. You're right. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, lived a long life. Comes to America as a young kid. Okay. The family gets over there. And not for nothing, if you're Jewish in you know Austria-Hungary, you want to make sure you get out of there. Right. Okay. It's not really going down just yet, but the, uh, the Jewish population, not quite popular. Now, not for nothing, I found this out too. Propaganda, going back to just that word, was used heavily by Rasputin in uh, the old czarist Russia. Okay. And some of the paperwork and the, the literature that was getting passed around that was anti-Jewish, blaming them for all the ills of the world, made its way over to Germany. And uh, the Germans, uh, they kicked it up a notch. Okay, so things get a little bit wild out there in uh, Europe around this time frame. But uh, luckily, Bernays makes it over to the United States. And um, like we said, he's related to Freud. He's got this um, who is a genius in psychology. And then because of that, they always said, too, that if you talk to Bernays, it was like within you and me are both comics. So, you know, when you talk to a comic and they can't wait to tell you, oh, I just got so much going on right now. I mean, I got a spot here. I'm going to be open up for so and so on the road. It's like, dude, I just asked how you were. Yeah. Like, and what? he was like that, talking about his, uh, mm-hmm. that was his interesting detail. I'm his double nephew of, is that what you're going to say? Yep. That's yeah. The, yeah. the first, that's his credit. He wants to be brought up on stage with <laughs> the double nephew of Sigmund Freud. Yeah. But um, but Freud does play, his whole work in the field of psychology does play like this huge, huge role in uh, Bernays' legacy. So they moved to New York. Uh, Edward attends uh, Cornell University, which... Uh, I don't know if you're into partying, Andy, but that's a good school to do some partying at. I feel like I read conflicting things. Like sometimes he was in school with Noam Chomsky and sometimes he wasn't. Whoa. Yeah. I feel like I read a few articles that said yay and then a few articles that said nay. And I probably could have like figured it out, chased it down. (laughs) But I mean, I like the lore of it. You know, I like the lore of this almost like split dichotomy of these two guys. Like, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, because Chomsky, you know, for better or for worse, depending on what you're reading, but he is um, almost anti-propaganda. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's, I'm going to give you the full ugly truth. Sometimes to, to counteract the, the propaganda, he has to go like the complete other way with it, too, which is I read a bunch of his shit in college. So oh, that was, yeah, we had to. <laughs> um, but not for nothing, uh, Bernays is working as a... Uh, this one made me laugh here, too, is that uh, he goes to uh, Cornell University, gets a degree in agriculture, and then decides he's going to make the jump into journalism. Yeah, yeah. And it was all in 1912. And uh, he, okay, so I found it, like, aside from the early history, he did this thing. He was still charging over $1,000. By the time his career, had, he, was, he was 95, still charging over $1,000 an hour for consulting fees. But he was worth his weight in gold. So this run that started then continued nonstop. Oh, shit. Dude, he pulls off some stuff here, too. And not for nothing, he actually gets married in 1922 to... Um, this one makes me laugh. I got some jokes in my act about feminism, and you and me have had some conversations where love women, respect women, but there's that, that hyper-progressive form of feminism. It's kind of ripe for parody. So, right. Um, this one made me laugh. He marries uh, Doris Fleischman, okay? And she famously refuses to take his last name on feminist grounds. And Bernays is actually all about this. He like he goes, oh, my wife, she's keeping her last name. Blah, blah. I'm so proud of her. It's Because she was a member of this group known as the Lucy Stone League. There was like a kind of like a women's rights, you know, suffragette kind of a thing. But uh, it made me laugh because eventually she does wind up taking his last name, probably around the time when he started getting $1,000 per consultation. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. once he becomes famous, you're like, oh, you, you know that I'm I'm actually a Bernays myself. Yeah. 
I would uh, definitely at that point be like, all right, like maybe these social constructs are working out a little bit. <laughs> now that I am the patriarchy, let me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the joke I have in my act, Ming, I don't know if you ever saw it. It was, uh, I had another clip of it up on my Instagram, but essentially it was a girl I was dating at the time was a radical feminist. And she told me, she goes, if we ever get married, I'm not taking your last name because I'm a feminist. And I was like, that's fine. You can keep your dad's. <laughs> I, I can't uh, tell you how many why are you not I, together anymore I'm not really sure. I, can't, I can't imagine well she learned not to wake me up at 4 a.m you know she was a bartender so it was what it was but <laughs> um but yeah no not for nothing it was it this whole thing they're the two of these guys like sometimes when you hear about a couple getting divorced or something like that uh they say like oh well you know you were partners together so you know your wife deserves part of your money from your earnings She's completely 110% ingrained in everything this guy does. Helps with ghostwriting for him, editing stuff. I mean, they were they were almost like a power couple in a sense. But uh, she does wind up taking the last name eventually. Um, and Bernays, his first gig that he gets is he's working as a medical editor, which I still don't know what that means. I'm not going to lie. All right. We're not actually smart on this podcast. We just, <laughs> we just read a little. We're literally one piano lesson ahead of the audience. <laughs> but... Um, in this medical editing gig that he has, he winds up uh, starting to make some really strong connections with uh, guys with last names like Vanderbilt and Rockefeller. Okay. And, the uh, secret society. Yeah, he started, he's getting inside the Bohemian yeah. Grove. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's his first foray, uh, foray, if you will, into the world of, quote, propaganda. Now, uh, something interesting going on in the world right around this time frame is uh, an incident known as uh, the Great War. Okay. Because it wasn't World War One yet. Yeah, it would have been, uh, that always cracks me up when people don't understand that you can't, you know, it's not, uh, it's the first one, okay? You don't know there's going to be a second one just yet. So when they refer to it as the Great War, or... <laughs> it was supposed to be the war to end all wars. Yeah, not really. It's like the once in a lifetime billing for uh, like when Mayweather fought McGregor. <laughs> yeah. And now they're talking about a sequel already, so... It's, uh, when it, Black Sabbath, farewell tour. Yep. <laughs> number six. And uh, Motley Crue, they had their farewell tour, and uh, I, I really think they're going to, you know, regret bringing Vince Neil. Vince Neil looks like me right now. That's not good. Okay? that's. <laughs> I grew my hair out to look like Vince Neil a little bit, and then I was like, it's kind of funny. He actually just looks like me now. He's so. starting to look like a retired Thundercat. That's... <laughs> I got to work on myself. <laughs> Ming brought up photos of him already. Yep. That's the guy. That's, I need a couple more tattoos. It's weird that Vince Neil now looks like Meatloaf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what is he though? 67? Oof. Oof, oof. Oh, that's a bad one. Yeah. It's, uh, we're talking about a decade. Him and Axl Rose, the two guys in the 80s that like were essentially the kings of rock and now they both look terrible. No, Axl still looks good. You think Axl looks good still? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, Look at that top middle. He still looks great. Yeah, it's uh, well, he's banging Lana Del Rey. He's got that going for him. Uh, that's why I think you got to be more of like an action Bronson. Just start out <laughs> obese, and then anything in the direction of better shape is like, wow, he's killing it. That's the move. I think yeah. that there's almost some Bernays like propaganda in your mindset oh, there. Dude. It's it's in everything. We eat bacon. We eat eggs. It's him. We drink oh, yeah. beer. It's him. Like, he did. That's correct. He just explained to the audience, um, due to one of his marketing ploys in this work of propaganda that he got into, um, he actually engineered the idea of the American traditional breakfast being eggs and bacon. And he bought his own newspapers that mm -hmm. seemed like real newspapers, but they were just filled with his ideas. And that is beyond, like, brilliant for the time. Yeah. it's We're here, by the way, it's hilarious because we're going to talk about the evils of, uh, you know, advertising and uh, the the 
the psychological damage and everything that it incurs, you know, going through. And then we're also looking for sponsors actively on this show. So. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think maybe just start shouting out sponsors that you don't have yet and then sending uh, them the clips. That might be the move there. So yeah, you got to reverse uh, engineer it. That's <laughs> That's what you got to do. That's well, what everything is. Well, he's a pioneer in this field, too, which uh, was interesting to me because he gets started. He's actually working in World War One. The spin that they hire him to put on the war, because not for nothing, uh, America, we're friendly again with England at this time. But I always bring this up on the show because it was fascinating to me. The two largest immigrant populations in America at this time, uh, at the outbreak of World War One, are German and Irish. Okay. So what you're saying is if America is going to get into the war, are we going to back Germany and then, you know, piss off England, who we're just starting to get like, you know, comfortable with again? Um, and then or are we going to go to war uh, with the side of the allies like we wind up doing and essentially aiding the British who are also oppressing like the first cousins and the sisters and brothers back in Ireland? So you're going to piss off one of your two major groups here, no matter which way you go. They did not want to get into the war. So they hire Bernays, who puts a nice little spin on it. It's about... It's not about uh, getting involved in foreign affairs. It's about preserving diplomacy. I found a really good interview with him, and I don't know whether I found it through uh, YouTube or BitChute, um, but it was just him talking about, like, casually talking. Like, we would talk about, like, the lineup of, uh, you know, a comedy show or, like, what we're going to do for a night. And it was like, all right, so Switzerland was like, we want to do this. And he was just like dictating the history and as if it was just friends planning an evening Ugh. and then they went ahead and did everything there really is some game of thrones to the whole world war one thing you know what i mean kingdoms falling and crashing down a couple of small groups pulling all the strings for everything not for nothing the entire war the, the entire world went to war because uh uh what's his name uh that uh uh, Hans Duke Ferdinand. Well, no, the guy who Hans shot him. Hans Christian I was Anderson. No, Hans, <laughs> Hans Solo. <laughs> the Archduke Ferdinand. Yeah, Archduke Franz Ferdinand was shot. And I can't believe it's... Uh, I can't, uh, Princep. The, the, I can't believe I'm screwing up the guy's name. It doesn't matter. But uh, that's the impact that an individual can have. Now, nobody... We're talking about the guys who had a physical impact. This guy's slowly behind the scenes on everything, man. Yeah. I was blown away by it. So I think people like this have like... Uh, trees that are made up if and i think we see it now especially and that's why things seem premeditated like when a tragedy happens things seem meditated premeditated because i think people i think people like this have trees if this event happens here are the options here are the options off of that option and then we can dictate exactly we can get the result we want based on a tragedy and that's and then that's how I think a lot of these conspiracy theories come up. Oh, totally! Is because they are people who a tragedy will happen. Here's what we're going to do. The uh, never waste a good tragedy was always a good quote that I uh, I enjoyed the um, accuracy of. But uh, get this one: this is the best term that I could have thought of uh, for the whole what he was doing in World War One. Uh, the group that he was attached to was known for, and uh, even Bernays himself would talk about this: that he was involved in what is now known as psychological warfare. Yes. Yeah. Not he, just a, a freaking John Mayer album. <laughs> it was John Mayer. <laughs> I think he had a psychological warfare. I, I can't remember. but Yeah, he was quoted as saying, ideas are weapons more effective than bullets. It's right, dude. I mean, especially in the modern cancel culture, like you can just take somebody out. Well, absolutely right. And then also that, that woke, progressive kind of way of doing things, that, that crowd that they're attempting to appeal to, they're hilarious because... 
uh, there's almost an, uh, I've heard this term used, it's called woke capitalism. Okay, where you're taking these progressive ideas and then selling them back. So people are like, oh man, this is great. The, the, I really agree with this company's message. It's like, dude, they cashed in on you. They found your weak spot, just like Bernays did with everybody. He gets into your head, finds out what you value, then sells you something that has nothing to do with it. You know, do you know how many people bought Nikes because they wanted to support Colin Kaepernick? Yeah. <laughs> I, think that, uh, I think that Saturday Night Live ran a, ran a beta test with uh, that girl, Melissa Villasenor. But Saturday Night Live is dying. No one watches television anymore. They don't even allow their clips on the internet, which is like they're just burying Death themselves. Yeah, agree. Okay. And then they hired this girl, Melissa Villasenor, who's a Spanish girl of Spanish origin or some short. And uh, then she, they're like, oh, she said some anti-Spanish stuff. I think they're using outrage culture to popularize themselves. I think that Melissa Villasenor was the beta test for Shane Gillis. I think they hired him knowing what was going to happen, just so that when the outrage you know, spiked, everybody was talking about Saturday Night Live again. I think that was a brilliant roundabout Edward Bernays-like method to get the name Saturday Night Live on your tongue. I would agree with it, too. And not for that, it sounds like we're getting off topic here. We're not. This is all shit that he wrote the book on, literally. One of his books, by the way, literally just called Propaganda. Yeah. That's the title of it. <laughs> and Gilly's doing okay, man. He, uh, I got the call to host for him at Stress Factory the other day, and I couldn't do it. So the fact that I met him at the open mic competition in for March Madness at Stress Factory a couple years ago, okay. and now he's headlining that room, Right, he's doing okay. That's <laughs> oh, I'm not worried. I, you know. Um, I wasn't... No, he's... he's <laughs> God damn it, Andy. <laughs> but uh, not for nothing, uh, Bernays, fascinating guy here. He's able to, you know, once he figured out his niche for this, which is hilarious because he's using Uncle Sigmund's, uh, you know, playbook, if you will, to now figure out how to sell you products. So he creates like stigmas and everything. Uh, get this one. Also a little weird side note about him because I, when I do my research, we use Wikipedia. We use other websites too. But particularly with Wikipedia, you are sometimes uh, nervous about whether or not what you're reading is correct. Oh, okay. And I had to verify this from two other sources. He won an NAACP award. Yeah. So did you figure out why and like his whole campaign with that? Oh, man, I stumbled upon that. Like th this guy. OK, so here's the problem. The dude lived for 100 years. and He was active for 70 of it. There's so much that you could go over with him that things do get lost in the weeds. Oh, he's I, got fingerprints on a lot of a shit. A lot of stuff. And I started reading about some NAACP stuff. And then who knows where that spiraled out into. I don't have the documents here. Well, uh, he got the NAACP award because he ran uh, the first convention, which was uh, hosted down in Atlanta at, uh, what's the name of that strip club you like, Mike, down there? That would be the Claremont Lounge, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the greatest place in all the world. I Dude, if I ever, I'm trying to work on getting in over at Laughing Skull down there. I had a shot with, um, coming in with a headliner that likes me, and uh, it got filled last minute by somebody else. But my dream is to attend that lounge and send you a photo of me hanging out there. If you get down there, I may just fly down there. Flights are very cheap. Oh, it's worth the trip. So That's, I may go with you. I want to see Atlanta, man. I really do. I, you should see Atlanta. It's a beautiful city, uh, as as uh, as Bernays proved uh, in 1920 at the very first NAACP convention. <laughs> and, uh, Ming, but I'll let you continue. Ming, because he's such a rapid student, has also caught up to us with being one lesson ahead on the piano like we talked about. Um but yeah, he runs the uh, NAACP. And what he did is that here's the spin he put on for how to uh, how to make a compelling argument because it's still, you know, race relations are not great at the time. Uh, not that they're even great right now. But uh, the appeal they started to make was 
well, look at the contributions that African-Americans have made to the country. So it's like we're going to create a sense of value and worth here that even old whitey can't deny. So, you know what I mean? So your racist uncle that's sitting there, you know, can't wait to bust out the fire hose on some people. He goes, no, nah, man, that, we have peanut butter. All right. It's <laughs> the filament and the light bulb. That's all shit. You know, these are contributions African-Americans have made to the country. You can't deny them. So he uh, was smart that way. Um, and like you said, dude, a thou- I didn't realize the, the price that it was a thousand. A thousand. He was a high-end prostitute well <laughs> into his old age. Dude, a thousand an hour for a consultation, that's good right now. Imagine that in friggin' like 1911 money. Well, I don't know if it would that. Uh, the, the quote that I read was in, uh, he took his last consultation meeting about two hours before he died in 1995 for a rate of over a thousand dollars an hour. And like you said, he made it to age 103. Dude, he went from... Like horse, I'm ignorant when it comes to certain things in history, but I feel like he went from like horses and carriage to like internet. Well, he died in 1995. Yeah, but I don't know when the car was invented. Well, that's probably my had... problem. <laughs> I know. He that's not had, the part uh... of the equation I'm having the difficulty with. I'm imagining him having AOL, but like all the free minutes on a CD that you oh, stack God. up a bunch of those. You're like, oh, I got 70 minutes left. This is great. But um, he was a counsel to politicians and CEOs. One famous one that... Uh, hired him was because we talk about presidents a lot on this show and a guy by the name of uh, Herbert Hoover I believe in 1932 uh, hit him up to uh, uh, help me out with my presidential campaign and he created this whole thing where he created uh, division amongst his rivals so he would seem like an invincible candidate and by the way when Herbert Hoover entered the presidency he was pretty much the most popular man in America and by the time he left he was the most loathed president in our history yeah Hoovervilles so, Hooverville's for the yeah. Great Depression era. Um, now, not for nothing, another name that I mentioned earlier when he was uh, working as a medical editor, uh, Bernays was hanging out with the Rockefellers and the uh, the Vanderbilts, and uh, also a guy by the name of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Hmm. So when you got presidents on speed dial, you're kind of worth your weight in gold. Well, he, I mean, he's casually talking at one point. He's like, yeah, Hitler called me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was uh, maybe I was going to do some work for him. And I was like, I don't want to do any work for you, Mister Hitler. Mm-hmm. And he called him Mister Hitler, which oh, is yeah. adorable. <laughs> Mister Hitler makes you think that it's like uh, Mister Hitler's neighborhood. Yeah, I mean it's way cuter than Adolf. <laughs> and also, I think that Dolph Lundgren's real name might be Adolf Lundgren, and that sounds way angrier. Wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Um, well, he. Uh, to me, the thing that, that kind of like jumps out at me about Bernays is um, he does create this term because uh, his job title, the, the way he described it, too, like you said, um, he was a psychoanalyst for troubled companies. That's how he would sell himself, that he's like, I'm going to apply Uncle Sigmund's you know, methods to. So now these corporations are finding out they also want to fuck their mother. Yeah, I mean, he was a weaponized psychologist. Total, oh, yeah. dude, I, that, yeah, I read that term somewhere else, but that was pretty much you know, hammer to nail in terms yeah. of how to figure it out. Basically, like a as close as you can get to like a Professor X without the wheelchair yeah, and the psychic abilities. Well, not for nothing, too. Um, Post-World War One, there's this uh, kind of a, a shitty, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people. First of all, it's the first time we're really understanding PTSD. There's guys coming. This whole group of people coming home from that, they're known as the lost PTSD generation. PTSD is like postpartum depression. I don't really believe in it. <laughs> I have the documents. <laughs> it's um, 
Well, there's this whole generation that's coming back from World War One, known as the Lost Generation, which I thought was, uh, it's always, they kind of, that's where all the weird like beatnik poets are starting off. That's like this whole counterculture thing's really starting around that time frame. The uh, Bohemians, as it were. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but he understands that propaganda, because these guys are, you know, an entire generation has been subjected to that. And I'm talking just, not just about the, the men on the front. Okay, I'm talking about, uh, you know, the families back home, the, the women, the children. They're all seeing all this weird shit. Uh, they talk about slaying the Hun. Okay, mm-hmm. so that you got to paint Germany as uh, the Huns, Attila the Hun. That here's your chance to stand up. We're Rome in that instance. You know, kind of a weird thing. But uh, he realizes that propaganda has a negative connotation. So he's going to create a new term for it. And uh, you know what that term was? He turned it into. He was the. He has a bunch of names. One of which is the father of public relations. Yep. The yep. first. So when you say you work in public relations, that that you work in propaganda. Yes. So. And he he there was um <clears throat> so much stuff that he did as far as uh, politics that again it gets like immeasurable. But he started with Woodrow Wilson, and then he overthrew governments. In that's the wildest one. Yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we'll get into that one real quick here because my favorite one that I have is uh, I'll, I'll just give you a hint towards it because the one I really want to hit on because it was so f- it made me laugh while horrifying me okay. at the same time uh, was torches of freedom. Oh yes. Okay, so I, I want to hit on that one in a minute, but okay. let's let's explain this one too real quick. So um, the uh, United Fruit Company. UFC. Yes, the original UFC. Yeah. <laughs> they um, they want to get this. Uh, they're pushing bananas. That's like it's like uh, that season two of The Sopranos. You were told to push wabistics. So we got to sell bananas, all right? And so they hire Bernays, and Bernays now creates this whole thing where oh well, uh, bananas are uh, are fun, and bananas are healthy and part of an American you know diet. And he's got celebrities eating bananas. He's got uh, images of you know people eating bananas, which is hilarious because it's you know. <laughs> well, that's why I sent you. If anybody wants to kind of understand how this was marketed, there's a great scene in a movie called uh, Sweet November with Keanu Reeves, mm-hmm. and uh, he is an ad agent in that movie, and he's selling hot dogs. So if you Google Keanu Reeves hot dogs, it is Edward Bernays incarnate. Like it is his methodology, but you're with, you know seeing it in real life with an incredibly handsome man showing you, <laughs> you know. Well, not for nothing too. Um, what was the other one you pointed out to me that the, the Devil Wears Prada? Oh, the Devil Wears Prada is full of Bernays. Yeah, yeah. that's. <laughs> It's so insane, too, because, you know, there's people that'll watch that movie and they're just like, I've been thinking about getting into it. It's like, yeah, you want to get into propaganda? That's what you're that's what you're about right now. I'm thinking about getting into Meryl Streep. That's you know what? You know what I mean? You ever see a young Meryl Streep in The Deer Hunter? I don't even now. Oh, I I, there's never that movie. She is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, George Clooney's out there. There's only one Meryl Streep. (laughs) Oh, not for nothing, dude. No, you're right. Actually, someone pointed out something wild to me the other day. Uh, Brad Pitt is older than Kathy Bates. Brad, okay. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Unsettling. Yeah. But uh, it's all about image. So back to Bernays. See, they guess they think. They think that because Larry's not here, we're going to get off topic, but we're not. I feel like I keep trying to steer the ship off topic. That's a, that, but that's 90 <laughs> percent. A lot of work to you to pull it back in. <laughs> that's 90% of our conversations, though, is okay, that when we talk on the enough. phone and everything. Yeah. So, um, but he creates this term for public relations now. And one of his moves is he's going to create the need, okay, and he's going to make the products that he's going to help sell or whatever, he's going to make them a symbol and a necessity, where it's this the, the idea of FOMO, 
kind of comes from this fear of missing out. So he's pretty good that way. Uh, now, not for nothing, I want to hit this one topic here real quickly. He sells uh, Dixie cups in a very interesting manner. He might be responsible for if you're germaphobic, he might be the reason why. Because there was a time period where Americans generally did not think about germs the way we do now, and he's responsible for that framework. Let me get this straight. I can't see. I can't see the germs, and the only way I could see it is through a device that you seemingly have to have. Yeah, yeah. So basically, drinking fountains and like public use things were dirty. Drinking out of your hands was, of course, unacceptable and barbaric. Mm-hmm. And this is not necessarily because those things are true, but more or less because he needed to sell some Dixie cups. Well, he used some interesting imagery I read about for the Dixie cups. And because you're right, the germophobia thing, that's all him. And you get people. It's almost like uh, we talk about it a little bit on the show from time to time. But the movie Idiocracy, hmm. you know, one of the, the great kind of cult movie. Comedies. I've only like seen it twice. That's about all you need to see okay. it, I think. It's not like I don't there's no rewatch value to it for me, but there's I definitely remember watching it. I was like, this has me thinking. So but uh not for nothing in there that the big thing was uh but it has what plants need. That that was mm. the advertising and they couldn't figure out why they couldn't grow crops because they were pouring Gatorade on it. Yeah. So <laughs> Bromo, Bromo. Yeah, and it was something but like it that. has what plants yeah. need. That that's literally that was ingrained to them. So it's like uh there's little things when a brand name becomes uh brand Brondo, there it is, the first the thirst mutilator. <laughs> <laughs> But um, that was from a great era of films. I feel like Pootie Tang came out around that time. <laughs> there was like this like real like big budget kind of go for it era in movies. And I feel like we kind of need to get back there. Uh, I th- it's going to have to eventually because everything's, you know, uh, th- there, there needs to be a Bernays behind the scene to kind of manipulate that back into it. By the way, no one believes me when I first tell them that Pootie Tang was directed by Louis, Louis C.K. C.K. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should have known. But I just watched his other movie. Which one? Uh, the movie that apparently, like, when the walls fell, he had ready to go. And then, oh, shit. Yeah, and okay. Then they, and then they just popped it out on YouTube. It's uh, with Malkovich. And uh, what's her name? The, the young girl or whatever who's kind of ruined her career. But <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, pretty decent movie. That's <laughs> Pretty decent movie. Louis doesn't make bad shit. That's the bottom line. Even Horace and Pete has its redeeming qualities. But uh, it was... Uh, now, for the imagery that he's going to sit here and conjure up for Dixie Cups, in the advertising, he had uh, water overflowing out of the cups to make it look like to conjure up subconsciously. Because, again, here's where Freud was a master of the subconscious, and Bernays is tapping into that by making you think that the Dixie Cups look like dirty vaginas. <laughs> that is 100% true. Okay. Um, and uh, Ming's bringing up a couple of the other wild things here. The Dixie oh. Cup, what he would do is he'd create imagery so it would look like as the the water was overflowing, that it was dirty. Um, uh, uh, literally, a venereal disease was something that Bernays was like adamantly against, by the way. So, not I mean, that there's anything. Who is pro venereal disease, KP? <laughs> That's a good point. No one's really super into it. Um, but uh, not for nothing, he was, that was like a thing that he knew conjured up fear in people. So, what he would do. Is uh, he would use the imagery of that to tap into it. So it's a different form of germophobia, I guess. But it was the idea that these Dixie cups are going to look like um, that this is the sanitary way to avoid that. So the cesspool that is a regular drinking cup, you need a Dixie cup. So otherwise you're going to get, you know, gonorrhea. And that's pretty much how he sold it. And uh, Ming's bringing up more photos too here, man. It's, he is, uh, uh, he's, 
Yes. He's bringing up photos of Dixie cups. Yes. <laughs> well, the old school um, advertising, man, is great. Now, we're about to get into the other weird thing, too, that he gets involved with. But uh, I started talking about it and then we stopped because this guy, this guy's all over the place. He's nuts, man. Well, um, I mean, he, he analyzes a product mm-hmm. and then looks at where the hole in the market is. Correct. Right? So he looked at cigarettes. Is what you'd want to get into. Oh, yeah. And he realized, like, oh, this is primarily a male market. Mm-hmm. So we needed to now, now, obviously, I can expand my business to the other 50% of the population. And he did that by, obviously, convincing women that smoking was super cool. Yeah. it's you're not, Now, not for nothing, I, I saw this, too, because there's... Um, if you look at like, you know, we're at Shared Universe. These are comic book guys. Uh, I do genuinely believe that comic books are for everybody. You know what I mean? That there's there's going to be markets for it for everyone. Um, I'm not really much of a comic book, comic book guy myself, but I do know the things that I've liked, I've loved. So, and you have to, you know, I was a big Punisher fan and uh, Wolverine. Those are my two. So, Obviously Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, not for nothing, you see this a lot where they're like, oh, well, what about, you know, if this is genuinely a male market, uh, we need to find a way to get the lady dollar. Mm-hmm. So another thing that I have, and I, that's why I've never disrespected comics because, uh, uh, you know, comic books, I should say, because I was uh, still am to a degree, but not like I used to be. I was a passionate pro wrestling fan. Mm. Loved it. You know what I mean? Stone yeah. Cold Steve Austin, game changer. But uh, not for nothing, wrestling figured out that uh, if you get like your, the male dollars are there, that's never going to go away. That's kind of catered. But if you get women to want to buy the stuff, too that they're going to get involved with that. So there's been this huge push and that like, it's always funny to me because they pretend that it's about like moral equality and stuff like that. And there are parts of it, but at the same day, it's a cash grab, a cash grab, I should say. I mean, I read something that was essentially saying like, if you want to market any product, you have to market to 13 to 20 year old women. Yes. Because they control so much of the resale dollar at that time and then in the future. Because capitalism needs women because women that they... They have uh, the purchasing power. They have um, uh, some a lot at that age. You have disposable income. You're not paying rent. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's but nuts. those. If you form those tastes at that time, though, they persist throughout a lifetime. Really? If, I, yeah. If you're Dolce, you're Dolce. If uh, you're Gabbana, you're Gabbana for life. And uh, if you're Dooney and Burke, you are uh, <laughs> Dooney and KP Burke. But. Um, yeah, it's uh, it is wild because that's a market you want because as soon as you can get them hooked, which is hilarious because that's kind of how cigarettes worked, is uh, you get them hooked at an early age and then you have repeat customers your whole life. Um, but not for another. Before we get into the uh, the cigarette market, um, we do have to talk about this one weird thing where Bernays kind of overthrew the government of Guatemala. Oh yeah. So. <laughs> So the UFC, the United Fruit Company, is sitting there and they're saying, hey, we're trying to sell bananas. Yeah, you would think they would send Chuck Liddell or Tito, <laughs> or Tito Ortiz. Oh, yeah. At least Tito can speak the language. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? <laughs> he has that advantage. Uh, it's, um, but it's wild. They send, uh, they send him over. Uh, so he, I don't even think he actually ever steps foot in Guatemala. I don't recall. So I can't say that with 100% certainty. But I do know that he starts making the spin move of bananas. They're healthy for you. Look how cool bananas are. You know, oh, every, bananas are healthy, part of an American diet, bananas. And then they're sitting there like, hey, guys, you know those bananas you love so much? They're under threat from communism. So, yeah, in Guatemala right now, the, the government's starting to lean towards communism. And uh, so then this propaganda campaign started. We're like, well, what if we put up like a puppet government and, uh, you know, made sure that they stayed friends for America? And you know what? Because you guys like bananas, right? So literally the whole plan comes and centers around bananas and the United Fruit Company, as you said, the original UFC, uh, winds up taking part in a coup, if you will, 
that replaces the government in Guatemala with a uh, American-friendly regime. Coup is the most peaceful-sounding word for a typically violent affair. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think on the, the third episode of this very coup. show, we... Uh, <laughs> Sounds like coy. Yeah, like a baby coos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but on the third episode of the show, we talked about Queen uh, Lili Ukulani, who uh, was the, the last queen of Hawaii, yeah, who was literally overthrown by uh, Dole, right. the Dole Company. <laughs> so Bananas took over Hawaii and now overthrew the government in Guatemala. Yeah, and now this same, like, you know, kind of tragic thing is uh, playing out in Venezuela right now making and like, the grab for them dude yeah this is the playbook but mm -hmm. this appears i mean dude also i'm pretty sure there was probably another bernays before him who did simpler things and it's not like written into the history books but like well, machiavelli would be in there for sure the tupac <laughs> no, um, the the, <laughs> the original italian badass oh, oh, okay. <laughs> i'm only familiar with the Tupac. No, that's a. Uh, no, it's. But you know what? Ninety percent. If if Kahuna was here right now, he'd be like, "Oh shit! Finally, like he, you gave him something to latch on to." Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, yeah. So he over. And I, this this is the playbook, though. This is the modern playbook for all of these countries, Syria, that you're hearing now. That like you hear about one thing that justifies everything else, and then typically that thing is like a debatable crutch. Yeah. Well, it, they you create unrest. Okay, you create the idea of unrest, then you sit there and uh, you you slowly kind of be like, well, and you realize there's there's a lot at stake here, so the world needs to be concerned about this one thing that's going on. I had a joke I was doing. I try not to be topical in the act anymore because people are just ridiculous. But um, when Trump was first going to put the embargo on uh, Mexico and uh, talking about building the wall and everything, I was like, dude, this is great news for everyone who owns stock in Florida avocados. Hmm. Okay. And I got called racist for posting that. And I was like, oh, Jesus, man. All right. So we're staying away from that one. But uh, oh, yeah. Well, it's weird because you're right. That is the playbook here. Uh, so our boy Bernays is, uh, you know, uses bananas and imagery to conjure up this whole idea that um, the Guatemalan government has to be overthrown. You now, the interesting thing is here, when we did the Dixie Cup thing, we were talking about that. He used um, the vagina as a symbol of the Dixie Cup and the germs. Now we come to bananas, it seems what the obvious <laughs> symbology should be, but he was bigger than that. You're right. He didn't want to take the easy way out. It's <laughs> There's a phallic sense to that. Um, well played. <laughs> but uh, now we're going to get into my favorite part. Okay. Yeah. This one, this one, this is one of his most famous case studies, if you will. Um, he gets hired by uh, Lucky Strike Cigarettes. Okay. And Lucky Strike, like you were just talking about earlier, they understand that it's a uh, it's a fellas kind of market. Men smoke. Yeah. Okay. It makes me laugh so much that in World War II, um, cigarettes were being like literally Lucky Strike cigarettes were being sent to the GIs on the ground from the Red Cross. Yeah, uh, because they were a great tool to burn off leeches. Yeah, burn off. <laughs> I'm not making that up. I know. Also, there was the idea that it was calming and soothing. Well, that's true. That's <laughs> and it looks cool. It's also a, true. I, again, it's hard to argue because it does look cool. There's oh, no way so around cool. that. See, I heard that he was originally uh, working for like uh, Marlboro, and that Marlboro, and they had a campaign that uh, Lucky Strikes were. What do you want to be an opera singer? So they were like uh, making Lucky Strikes effeminate, and when the Lucky Strike sales dipped, then Lucky Strike came in and bought Bernays off of the uh, Marlboro of the time or whatever it was. Because Marlboro does promote 
the badass cowboy lifestyle stuff. I don't think it was Marlboro. I was using that as an example. No, but, but that's a good example. Oh, the Marlboro Man. Yeah. yeah. Mar- now, get this. Uh, Marlboro Man, who died, obviously. His grandson, get this. Yeah. Sam Darnold, quarterback of the Jets. Yeah. Who is another man's man, a badass dude here, when you're coming from that Marlboro lineage. Yeah. I'm, sports references are going to go, wow. No, but that dude, just the fact that there's even a connection should be interesting to most people. Okay. That's a <laughs> Okay. So uh, you're right, though. Lucky Strike uh, hires him. What they want to do is that Lucky Strike is trying to cash in on the lady market. We need uh-huh. to get women to smoke. Now, around this time frame, too, as the men are off at war, um, the women are now taking the Rosie the Riveter type positions, all right, working in factories, uh, doing – now, this leads to, uh, A, some solidarity in the nation, too, okay? Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, not because women were part of the war effort here. You, the guys can't shoot anything if the factories aren't churning out bullets. So, yeah. but uh, it also starts to spur on this intellectual contagion, as you call it, about uh, the suffragette movement was already popular. Um, you know, around this time frame, uh, more feminism. The, the first, because feminism goes in waves, if you don't know. That's why I'm only really critical of the third current one where it's like insanity to me at times. But I still agree with most of its tenets, um, as you and me have talked about on the phone before. I don't know so what you're talking that's about. A <laughs> disown, disown, disown. <laughs> uh, but not for nothing, uh, these uh, so women are smoking now, and it's frowned upon uh, for women to smoke in public. Okay, but women can smoke in the comfort of their own home. Now the other thing that's coming in almost simultaneously with this is a uh, body image that the first like a, a traditional looking. Because it happens a lot, too, like with movies and everything. Yeah. Like, it always makes me laugh. You'll see, like, a, a muscular man from, like, a 1940s or 50s movie. Right. It's always, like, John Wayne with, like, a big beer belly kind of hanging out. Yeah. You know, yeah. Burt Lancaster with, like, you know, tub <laughs> in front of him. But if you were tall and had shoulders, that was what... Like, back in 1940s, I am... I'm, I'm Mr. America. Yeah, okay. It's... <laughs> uh, but then you're looking at it, and uh, the women are... Start, the, the style of body that women uh, are being told is uh, desirable is a thin frame on a woman. Okay, so you're, uh, you know, also there's different looks. There's, you're not getting like Marilyn Monroe just yet or anything like that, but you are getting a thinner frame on a woman. So it's desirable for uh, women to uh, be thin. And then they're also, you know, smoking is kind of a a thing of independence for them. They're like, see, I'm I'm not like, you know, I'm not a slave. I'm not barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. I'm actually gonna smoke my cigarette because I work in a factory. Mm -hmm. So uh, Bernays comes in sees this opportunity and then because he you know got paid a buttload of money from lucky strike he now says uh he creates this is one of the best things goes uh lucky strike cigarettes a strong alternative to sweets yeah so he appealed to the uh body shaming mm-hmm. and then i read that <laughs> i read that uh he changed the he actually like changed the label to green and green was an incredibly unpopular color at that time that's interesting. Like green was not regarded as something that you would paint a house or a wall or wear. And he changed it. He was Let's like, be doing right. an anti-Irish sentiment in the country still. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, yeah, um, and he changed the color to green, the packaging to green. And there's an era of Lucky Strikes where there was green. And that was, regard- that was a Bernays move. And I don't know exactly what the thought process was. I couldn't find that. But, yeah. And he convinced women that smoking was uh, a great symbol of their independence. Yep. And not for nothing, because women were smoking indoors, like behind, you know, kind of in their the privacy. But now for a woman to smoke a cigarette out in public was still a bit of a taboo at the time. Yeah. And they said that his wife smoked and he would actively try to dissuade her from smoking mm-hmm. because he realized at a certain point that there was a... 
health detriments as opposed to benefits. Which is why he's hilarious because he goes, uh, I mean, I'm not going to enjoy this product, but, uh, you know, I'm going to make sure you guys can. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> that's like having a, an alcoholic sell beer. But also, I don't really view any. I mean, you could take a lot of positions on this kind of stuff. But like, here's the reality somebody's going to sell you cigarettes. Correct. Somebody's going to deal heroin, right? This so at a certain point, you just got to go, if I'm doing it 10% more ethically than the guy who might come in behind me, I'm still doing the best thing for society. Absolutely. Now, not for none, this is where Bernays comes in that uh, he gets compared to. We're lucky he was actually a pretty good guy. Oh, well, I mean, okay. For, but if you would his... have applied this to like convincing people that like uh, single payer health care is a good idea, right. then maybe we'd be in a different position. But we got bananas. That's so <laughs> we got bananas. <laughs> well, he was a capitalist at the end of the day. So right, wherever the right. money is, he's going to go for that, which I get to. But not for nothing. Get who uh, reads his books and enacts some of his policies and some of his schemes. John Podesta. <laughs> and uh, along with uh, a guy by the name of uh, Joseph Goebbels. Oh, yes. The minister of propaganda Basically, for the Nazi kind of, party. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, like you said, he, he's had phone calls with Hitler before. Yeah. Goebbels is reading his books, literally, you know, because uh, he had two books. It was um, uh, The Crystallization of Public Opinion, I think. Yeah. And he published the first one at like 32. Jesus, man. So he's How old are you? 32. So, oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, you can either uh, write the, the foremost book on a... Uh, a brand new uh, empire that's going to affect the rest of the world, or you can start a podcast with your dad. Yeah. Well, Manson didn't start the family until he was 35. <laughs> so there's a lot of room left. Also true, man. And um, then you kind of have to like look at the economic disparity of then and now and kind of being like diet. Like the 27 Club is no really like you, the rise to fame is like slower and economics. So like dying at like 32 <laughs> is also kind of the new 27 Club. Well, 33 is when I'm going to go, I think, because that's when uh, Farley and Belushi went. You're not there yet. It's, I got one more year. That's, that's why I wanted to have you I mean, on. Okay, look, <laughs> we're friends, but I'll go on that ride with you. That's, <laughs> my Chateau Mormont. Yeah, I'll be in there behind the music, just like sunglasses inside. Like, it was a good guy. <laughs> you know? We know it's uh, the true story, not to get super off topic, because we're about to come right back into it, is uh, that when uh, Belushi was eating himself to death at Chateau Mormont, doing okay. heroin with that, that one woman, um, he, uh, he had two visitors that night that both showed up and they were like, hey, this is not good. Uh, one of them was Robert De Niro. Okay. And the other one was Robin Williams who walked in and goes, oh, oh, hello, hello, hello. Oh, oh, you're eating yourself to, I gotta go. <laughs> so very weird when those two guys were like, yeah, something bad was happening. We had to get out of there. Well, but, I mean uh, the, the Robin Williams thing I get, but I don't get the De Niro thing. He was there, man. That was the, the two last people to see him alive. Okay. Um, now get this though, we're talking about celebrities here. And celebrities are influencers, right? So right. you're talking about modern. This is all shit Bernays came up with. That if I can get, uh, if I can get a good-looking woman to smoke a cigarette, then people are going to sit there and say, "Oh, well, attractive people smoke." And then a woman will sit there and be like, "Well, I'm going to be more attractive looking now because a, I'm going to smoke these cigarettes. They're promising to make me thinner." We're going to dive into the body shame. Oh, this will help me maintain a thin figure to attract more men, and it's a symbol of my uh, independence. Why wouldn't you smoke a cigarette? Oh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. There's a problematic thing. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. I did, right? Oh, good on you, brother. I did. I did for my 20s. I was a Newport guy. I don't know. Whatever <laughs> that uh, means about me and the advertisement that reached me specifically. But after I quit smoking, I did date a girl that was a smoker. 
for three years, right? Mm-hmm. And I began to associate the smell of cigarettes with sexuality at that point. Interesting. Yeah. So, like, this is a very insidious thing. But then, like, even when you're out with your buddy who smokes and you smell that cigarette, like, things still happen. Like, the same, like, chemical responses are, like... Because I was associating cigarettes with sexuality. Because a couple girls I've dated that smoke cigarettes, they said that uh, whenever they quit, they gain like 15 pounds. Well, yeah, there's the, yeah, there, there is the legit taste. But you got to put too. something in your mouth. So Bernays was right. Bernays, it does keep people thin. But uh, maybe you should take it up. That's a, yeah. I've I've thought about it. I was like, if I quit drinking and just go right into smoking. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's impossible to try to quit smoking and continue drinking for the most part. That's the hardest metric. But if you quit drinking and started smoking you might be able to pull that off there's a move i'd have to find a brand so i'd have to ask bernays would have to psychoanalyze me and be like well here's what you seem to like uh you seem to be a proud american you seem to be a, you know you, you try to model yourself as a man's man okay there's a little ruggedness to you i'm going to recommend uh camels mm, you know yeah. and i would listen because he would psychoanalyze me figure out what the market was going to be and what i exactly want and then boom all of a sudden i'm smoking cigarettes Right, right. And now, then you could also get into the whole, like, because we talked about the symbolism with the Dixie Cup. And when I was growing up, you were always told, look at the man in the camel on the cigarettes. And if you look at the camel's back, there's a man pissing in the back of cigarettes. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. You got Ming interested now. He's going to (laughs) start. Well, I mean, like, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, uh, this is a spiral, obviously, but there's a whole thing of like the 666 and Disney logo. There's like, there's multiple times when there's symbolism. Holy shit. He just found it. Yeah. See? Oh my God. That's hilarious. He's got his, you know, he's got his like uh, arm back. There's like a definite dong type thing. All right. I'll be putting that up on uh, the the Instagram account for American Loser. Yeah. (laughs) But um, this is fun because this is like a pre-internet conspiracy theory. This was like something wild. that hippies would whisper each other, what whispy, whisper <laughs> to each other while we were like, you know, smoking cigarettes behind the high school. Dude, that's wild because that's um, that's a damn good one. And uh, unlike uh, Marilyn Manson having his ribcage removed, um, you know, this is actually true. We can see tangible results here. Um, but that was the whole thing. Bernays would create the need for the product and he would make it a symbol so this is my absolute favorite one that he did um in order to get women to start smoking outdoors he stages an event okay first of all he's got attractive women smoking Uh he hires a couple of good-looking chicks and he decides that uh he's going to start marketing the cigarettes as torches of freedom Mm -hmm. so it's hey ladies this feminism thing's really taken off Uh, if only there was a product you could use to symbolize your newfound independence Yes. I feel like they try. Okay. No, Bernays' methods can go wrong because when they attempted to rebrand French fries as freedom fries, like that was like, okay, that was like basically a novice trying to use his methods. But Torches of Freedom worked and women were out smoking in droves. Here was the best thing. He had his own event that he staged where he paid a couple of attractive female feminists to go out there and smoke cigarettes out in public, knowing that it would cause a stir. Okay. Because now, not for nothing. Everybody's talking about your product because the national conversation on feminism is there's the old school kind of a and I don't want to say conservative or liberal because that that brings up so many weird connotations. But a more old school Clint Eastwood get off my lawn kind of a person is like, you believe these broads are smoking cigarettes out in public now? And they're like, well, why can't we be smoking these cigarettes out? Like, I don't know. Just that's not something I've seen before. And they go like and but everybody's sitting there and like we're all talking about Lucky Strike. 
Well, yeah, and, it's the, nation. and it's the Saturday Night Live metric. Yeah, I, which I liked a lot. You create a conflict, and then people are talking about the conflict, and then the secondary point to the conflict is the product. Well, uh, what was the most talked about ad last year? I don't know. It was probably um, – I feel like it had to do with razors. That, well, there's a couple because whenever you have an inflammatory commercial, you think it would be bad. But uh, well, it's any a, press is good press. Exactly. Yeah. So who was selling like a, not for another? They, they bring Kaepernick in for Nike, right. and the whole thing is they're leading it because it's a final misdirect swerve at the end when they reveal him because they'll have like a person with no legs, you know, doing handstands or something. You're like, wow, that's really inspiring, or uh, you know, all this, yeah. uh, and or they would have. Um, they try to appeal to every demographic slowly. Like they have like the Duck Dynasty guys or something like that. They have all these weird little things. And at the very end, they swerve and show you Colin Kaepernick. And you're like, yeah, so if you believe in that stuff, you also believe in him. You know, and it was kind of a weird move because all of a sudden now the entire country is fired. up. There's people screaming death to Kaepernick. I can't believe that I'll never fucking wear Nike ever again. And then there's the other people like, man, Nike's really, you know, they're really fighting the good fight for us. I mean, it's brilliant because like somehow it can like that campaign convinced like people, woke people, perhaps that. These shoes that are made in sweatshops are now a sign of your like um, societal responsibility. Yeah, your moral high ground provided to you by slave yeah. labor in another yeah. country. Yeah. Um, no, but you're right, and so it's almost the same thing as the Kaepernick commercial. And we try not to talk about too much uh, current events here on the show because it is a history show. But I just thought there was too good of a, an example of using that the same way that they're using these torches of freedom now, where it's women are like, hey, do you have um, – I need to buy some cigarettes. I'm looking for Lucky Strike. They're like, well, we only have Marlboro and Camel Lights right now. You go, no, because those companies, those cigarettes aren't torches of freedom. Okay, I need the Lucky Strikes to prove to everybody I'm fucking hardcore. Yeah. So you create the need for the person here. Um now, not for, there's a couple other things here, too. Uh, Bernays had, when I was saying earlier, that he was a good guy. Like, he, there's some skeletons in his closet, for sure. Well, he was, uh, he, he's fairly popular in the world of uh, conspiracy theory or the truth community, depending totally. on where you land on that. Um, he, uh, he's responsible for the fluoridation of water. Which led to the John Birch Society, which is a very complicated issue that you will probably not spend hours on, but you could. And um, there was, uh, yeah, you, and again, the alcohol thing. So he has inspired some bad habits. Totally. It's a, uh, and the beer thing made me laugh a lot too, because that's like, there's literally ideas that we have that Bernays put in our heads, you know, 100 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Um, but one thing I thought it was worth mentioning too is that. I keep saying that he was a good guy, but he has the way that he looked at the world, okay, was that uh, he believed himself to be an intellectual superior, which let's be honest, he kind of was mm -hmm. a smart guy, okay, uh, a descendant of Freud, as uh, he would be very quick to tell Double you. Double nephew. Yeah, a Cornell graduate, too. Yeah. And when you have the entire world's, if there was an Illuminati, he has all of them on speed dial, okay? Right. But he did believe this, that uh, humans are sheep. Okay, and that we need good shepherds of higher intellects to lead them in the right direction. So his way of making, you know, uh, not a, the way of justifying his actions of this propaganda, this psychological warfare that he's conducting, he's getting inside of our brains and taking a section of it over for himself. But the way he's saying is, but I'm only selling you good stuff. You know what I mean? I'm not using this for evil. But again, his book is being read by Joseph Goebbels, or Joseph Goebbels, depending on how you want to pronounce it, who literally is the mastermind of the final solution for Hitler's Germany. 
Right. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, you can manufacture something, but it depends. You know, I don't know if you can be held responsible for the way other people use it. That's right. a very big ethical question. Well, like you said too, it's that uh, he is ten percent better than uh, somebody else who could be using it for more nefarious purposes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's what I think. And like his his theories have been uh, used to elect every president over the last fifty years. And uh, now, but his popularity and the way he is shown on the internet is dependent on whether the president is popular or not. Yes, that's. You know? <laughs> I saw photos. Uh, just researching him, it would be a, a photo would pop up of uh, him next to Trump, and they were talking. And I was like, but, yeah. but not for nothing, man. Like, if you were going to sell, if you had to engineer somebody in a Hollywood studio to be the first black president. You, Obama comes right out of central casting, man. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's complicated. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then, you know, and everybody, when Bernays's, Bernays's theories were used to popularize Obama, he, if, you, if you scrolled the internet, the results were good. Like the YouTube results would be like pro-Bernays stuff. Mm -hmm. And now the first five results are like how he gave us Donald Trump. And you're like, <laughs> ah, well, I mean, look. It's a tool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Again, the, the reason he's a loser on this show is because he, he not for nothing, he died in 1995, I right. believe, at age 103, and we're still blaming current events on him. Yeah. So yeah. he, he kind of created yeah. everything here. Um, and when you create controversy, it would spark national discussion for this stuff. The Germans are studying him. I shouldn't say the Germans. The Nazi party is studying him, and they're using him to... That was just what they were able to do in terms of propaganda. It was pretty ridiculous in and of itself. But uh, he did believe himself to be this good shepherd who was kind of guiding people in a certain way over here. Um, and, you know, he died, like you said, um, still active. Still active. Still a sharp guy. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the family's worth, you know, quite a bit of money. I'll put it that way. And just he grew up and his like his methods were in a time where things, ideas took time to permeate. Right. If he was, there is a guy who's him now, I'm sure, but imagine a Bernays in a world of social media and how quickly you could change public opinion. Yeah. You know, in this news, this 24 hour news cycle, ideas like this, you can weaponize, a, a, like he said, weapon, ideas are weapons better than bullets. You know, you could weaponize an idea in hours that in, when, when he started these ideas or when he started these, this methodology, it took years, you know. It's uh, that's a good point too, man. It's almost a good thing he didn't have access to some of the uh, the weapons he has now. Which, by the way, you want to talk about a weird thing with advertising? I got offered a job. I won't say by what company, but they wanted they're they're looking to hire comedians to be the brand representatives for social media. I'm not saying me as the brand. They want me to be like you know uh, Wendy's does it, where Wendy's Twitter like claps back at people and stuff. Uh -huh. They they wanted me to do that for a new product that they're trying to come up with. And uh, it's an it's established product. I can't say the name of it. I'm, I'm legally not allowed to. But um, I didn't get the job. I'll put it that way. Uh, and the reason why is because they wanted somebody meaner. So that, oh, that's an interesting thing. You didn't thing. call me? That's <laughs> I wasn't allowed to. That was the problem. Yeah, I mean, we could work around that. I know. You know what I'm saying? Well, I lost that on the gig. We'd have our own little personal Ukraine phone call. <laughs> Um, we are wrapping up here towards the end, but you brought notes in, brother, and you're the subject matter expert. So make sure that you have everything. If there's anything else you want to add in here, because I loved reading about this guy. Okay, I think here's a here's a side note. Um, I think he was very he was a very behind the scenes guy, as you mentioned earlier. We mm -hmm. brought up pictures. He's not the most attractive fellow. No, okay? he actually looks a little bit like Tesla. He, he he's uglier. 
Well, oh, yeah. Uh, ugly Tesla. Yeah, a Tesla, a chubby Tesla. <laughs> like, Tesla at least had that, like, like Count Duke, like, feel to him. Like, uh, if you saw an AT, like, a portrait of him painted in, like, a gown and like with a crown, like, you'd be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Ming just brought up a Tesla next to Bernays side by side. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Tesla's way more fun. Yeah, it looks like you and the guy she told you not to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so them Austrian you- boys. If you listen to Bernays, you understand he had a uh, he had a voice for books, like he has a um, accented, like if uh, th- picture Theodore Chipmunk with an Austrian accent, <laughs> like it is it's it, 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 it so physically he was off putting, verbally he was off putting, so now like is his is this whole thing responsible because of that? Like, did he, I gotta, did he, like, comedians, most of us are funny because we encountered tragedy or trauma growing up. Yes. Did he choose this path because he was like, hey, guys, you know, like, an awkward individual. So he was like, I gotta learn how to manipulate people behind the scenes. Well, not for nothing, too. We're not, we are so, we're a good podcast here. I do believe in what we're doing. But in the realm of things, because they always tell you, like, we'll reach out to other history podcasts and try to, you know, cross promote and stuff. And I'll go check out some of these podcasts. And it's like, we get such, because people have a comfort, because in their subconscious mind, my voice and my father's voice have been called, quote, soothing. Oh, yeah. You have a Mike Rowe quality. That's <laughs> it's actually a guy I look up to. So, um, But it's uh, when we're talking or whatever, people hear our voices and then they give us this credence, which just kind of like we, we pull in more listeners that way. There's other extremely well-researched podcasts about topics that I find fascinating that I cannot listen to because the narrator's voice is too aggravating. Oh, no. Sam Harris is like <laughs> a monotone professor. Like, and oh, yeah. actually, like he's given the lecture a hundred times. He's burnt out. It's almost summer. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just really kicking, kicking <laughs> back. He's like his PAs are doing a lot of his work, you know. It's a, he is a boring guy on that one. But uh, then there's other people that just you, you love the sound of their voice. And again, my, the way my father presents himself to people buy into that. Like this guy probably knows what he's talking about. You know, so we take advantage of that. And that's that's not exactly a Bernaysian way of thinking. No, and he's show your dad's sharp. Oh, yeah. Your dad's sharp. He comes in with a good comment exactly when it needs to come in. And I appreciated that. Well, he does. Uh, he does some good research here, man. Now, I do miss him down in uh, Old South Beach. He will be back. But. Brother, this was an important one to get you in on. Did you have anything else you wanted to hit for Bernays? Because you have notes, man. When people have notes, I want to make sure we oh, man. reward them. You call, I mean, like, I think, like, it's important to talk about how he uh, led things positively. But, like, also, I think that there's a lot of opportunity uh, to the secondary form of what he did is, like, taking something uh, and forming, like, if a, something organically evolves and then manipulating that, right? So you take any given topic and then you do this thing, what I call bigfooting it. If you think something is a conspiracy or there's some nefarious hands at work or there's questions that need to be answered, then you take whatever it is and kind of apply this Bernays method of being like, okay, you have questions about 9-11 or anything and you go, oh, so the planes were holograms. 
right? And you put ah. this kind of stuff, you put like, oh, uh, you know, the, there's an international ring of child molesters, yeah, with uh, in a pizza place. <laughs> and you just kind of, so like, you just kind of like, you take whatever might be real, and then you apply Bernays to it, and you just go, yeah, well, now, like, you get pulled over by a cop drunk driving, yeah, and I got four clowns in the back seat. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like what? And you're like, yeah, well, obviously I didn't. You know, obviously, you just per- you perpetuate a ridiculous idea to cover up a plausible idea. And I think and somehow that's kind of a reverse engineering of his methods. I would agree with that, too. And then not for nothing, our behind the ones and twos, our very own uh, Ming over here is uh, what's the company that has you on their advertising for podcast equipment? Uh, that'd be Zoom. Everybody's Zoom, right? Zoom. No, I have so one of those at home. He's yeah. legit. <laughs> well, Ming is legit one of the spokes. Not is a spokesman or just you're in the advertising? Uh, I'm, I'm in the advertising. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, yeah. they, ha- they have a new mixing board out called the LiveTrack L8. It's, <laughs> it's billed as the board for podcasters. So, you know, they came to, you know. Well, of course, who who's going to give the audience who knows a <laughs> thing or two about podcasting, a little bit of credence yeah. than the podcast king himself, you know, Ming. Yeah. So it's wild that way, dude. And um, not for nothing, though, we, I do want to wrap up because we're uh, we're over on time here. The new uh, the new move for American Losers is to try to be no more than an hour and 10 minutes. Okay. So I think we're right on the money with that one. I got a, I got an hour 11 uh, on my thing. I know we started a little bit earlier, but um, while you think of anything else you want to go out on real quick, I just got to plug one or two things. Um, first of all, Ming, I'm going to plug the new location for you guys, if that's Absolutely. okay. Absolutely. That's so, totally cool, yes. All right, uh, Asbury Park, right out there on the boardwalk. And uh, that's going to be for at least another month or so, right? Yeah, possibly longer. Uh, it seems shit, like the cool. city is uh, very encouraging of what we're doing, so we might be there a little longer. Dude, it's great. I can't wait to be down. I know we got plans for something. I don't know if you want to talk about it on air or not. We don't have to. Oh, yeah. Well, well you know, inspired by comedians such as yourselves, I'm, uh, I'm like, wait, we have a space. We have microphones. What else would you do but an open mic? So, it's going to be cool. I'm so. um, looking at early February, uh, you know, one weekday night. Um, you know, assignments will start at like 7.30. We'll get rolling at 8.30. And, uh, I love it. We'll see what happens because I, I, I encourage the, uh, the, the stand-up comedian community in this area for sure. And, There's a good um, scene down in Asbury too. There's like that's where I met Andy, my buddy Angelo Gingerelli, yep. Jack Steiger, who came on for our Lovecraft episode and, and showed us all his mental illness on full display. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you leased space on the Asbury Boardwalk? I did by some miracle. I can't. I don't know oh. how this happened, but uh, podcasting, man, it go. It takes you places. Wow. I yeah. want to do an episode there soon yeah. before uh, that, that runs out. I thought about asking for this one because I saw you were down there earlier today. Um, or at least you posted like you were there earlier today. Uh, that was last night. That's but, good. You know, it's, uh, what do they call that? A later gram? Is that what the kids call it? Like, Fair like, enough, man. That's, <laughs> damn, but, I didn't yeah. know that. But uh, I, I'd love for both of you to show up when we do that. Uh, yeah, I want to bring Andy on for another. I want one of my fathers back to it. Oh, yeah, Andy for sure. Again as well. But um, yeah, I think that would be fun. No, it's it's cool, dude. I, I love being here. It's a. I always tell people, I was like, we could, because they always, people tell me like, dude, why don't you just get the Zoom and, and do the shit at your house? And I was like, there's something about people like, bringing a guest into a studio that just gives the show a little bit more professionalism. And then it, there's nothing more fun than getting up and leaving out of here and just being like, all right, well, you guys go handle that. And then Kahuna's sitting there. Meanwhile, I got like fucking three episodes stacked up. He hasn't edited yet, but I'll get it. <laughs> I'll yell at him about that later. But uh, it's if you're going to do a podcast, guys, this is a legit endorsement here. Uh, just come check out a shared universe. They got some good stuff going on, man. They make your life a lot easier. Thank you. Okay. Um, but that'd be some. 
Ming, thank you for everything today, brother. It's uh, it's great absolutely to be here. anytime and always. I know that man. You guys are the best. Uh, so if you want to check them out, it's uh, at a shared universe on Instagram, all that other good stuff. Check us out at American Loser uh, Podcast. It's a full is at American Loser Podcast on Instagram. I'll post a couple of the weird things we're talking about today. You can follow me at KP Burke Sucks on Instagram. I deleted my Twitter because I have something potentially big going on, and I refuse to lose my job to Twitter. <laughs> um, and then uh, KP Burke at uh, Facebook. I do have a website. I fucking hate it. I don't really like the guy who made it, um, but uh, <laughs> I do have it. I got some upcoming dates on there I got to work on, but uh, just keep in touch uh, on Facebook, man. That's really where I'm doing most of my damage. And if you guys like the show, we love doing it. And uh, we're going to be back and actually we got a couple saved up right now, a couple of Larry Burke episodes, my father. Uh, we pre-recorded before he left for Florida. He'll be back in March because he's Irish and he has to come back up for parade season. But uh uh, do me a favor. You leave me a written review for the podcast. That's all I'm asking. I don't want to charge money for this. I don't want to start putting up premium content or building any sort of a paywall. Um, so just do me a favor. Written reviews. And uh, it, it's hard to tell who some of you are from your usernames. The usernames are hilarious, by the way, a lot of them. Um, one of them just wrote, I want to bang the elder Burke. Hmm. So that's some dude trying to bang my dad. But <laughs> um but anyway, it means a lot to us. Also pushes us up in the rankings so more people can find us. And if you are a listener who has found us without having any sort of connection to me, just know it's really cool. And it's because people left those reviews that you were able to find us. And, and I love you for that. So uh, thank you very much. Andy, where can people find you, brother? Um, mainly on Instagram at Andy underscore high roller. One of my uh, favorite follows on social media, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, anti-social media. Social media is just my pictures of Bloody Marys and sushi. Um, <laughs> it's a lifestyle blog. You know, <laughs> I'm an influencer. You are, just and, as Bernays uh, intended. Yeah, and I'll be at the Burned Bridges Comedy Festival. Oh, nice, dude, yeah. in Pittsburgh, right? I made that up. Oh, dude, I thought that was a real thing. Nah, <laughs> just burn a lot of bridges in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm working on some. I'm about to get fired from a club, I think, uh, pretty soon. But uh, <sighs> Might as well. Yeah, we'll see what happens on that one, man. But uh, no, I'm excited because now there's an opportunity to uh, get some more shit going down the Jersey Shore with you. But that being said, anything else you want to leave as we wrap up here, buddy? No, I'm good. Thanks, All right. man. Okay, I thank you so much to my guest, Andy Lawson. Please check him out. Andy Highroller at uh, social media. Funny, funny dude. Come see him live. I'm going to try to bring... Actually, I think we're doing John and Peters together soon. Juan and Peters. <laughs> Over in New Hope, Pennsylvania. We're trying yeah. to put together a final date for that. Lineup was approved. I don't have a date yet. So Great but, Bloody uh, Marys. Uh, dude, I, that and might be an overnight. pickles. Ooh. That might be an overnight. There's a lot of bed and breakfast in that there area. There sure are, Boy, buddy. We could... Uh, <laughs> It'll be chilly, too. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm warm. Let me tell yeah. you. That's that's literally the first. I'm funny and I'm warm. That's the quality most girls notice in me around this time of year. So, <laughs> But uh, that being said, guys, this was uh, Edward Bernays. This was a fantastic episode. Thank you so much. And again, that was Edward Bernays, American Loser. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. American loser the day I was born